the Girl Scout camp that's in the middle of Long Beach. They've been camping all weekend, so it's been me and Rachel. So I hope you've been praying for Rachel. I would say pray for me, but the reality is, if, if you know me, pray for my daughter. She had to deal with me all weekend. Um, but you guys can turn to uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. We're going to dig right in. Uh, and I'm going to pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we can say that to you, the God that created all things, that, that for each of us in our own way, uh, at least at, at some point and in some way have rejected you, and yet you pursued us, and, and, you, and you've adopted us, and we can call you Father. Wow, that's amazing. And we just... We just declare, as we're, as we're teaching through Galatians, and, and, and its full point is to point us to our need for you and the good news that you've made yourself readily available to us through your grace. I pray that we would embrace that. I pray that we would rejoice in your grace. That we would stop trying to earn your love. That we would realize that you love us already. And that we would live out of that love as worshipers. I pray this in Jesus' name. So Galatians chapter 4 verse 21 um, is where we're at. We're going to read the end of it. And I'll just tell you this. Is, as, as you, as, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'll read the whole thing and then we'll break through it. But when, when you are going to teach on a passage and then you read a couple commentaries and the, and the first line of everyone goes, this is one of the hardest things in the Bible, you, you probably need to like pray. Right? And so I'm just going to preface that. that What, what we're going to look at today uh, other commentators are saying this is really difficult. I, I think it's it's really relevant. I think it's an awesome passage. It just takes a little work. It, it, it assumes that you know a little bit about the Old Testament. If you come in here and you're like, I don't know a lot about the Old Testament, we're going to walk through it all together. I'm not going to assume that we know all those things because, frankly, this week I had to get back into my Old Testament and study it. And so we'll just walk through that together. But it's going to be a, a good time. Uh, but you have to understand the context of the whole letter in order to understand kind of what Paul is talking about. And so if the, Paul is the author, first of all, and, and the letter of Galatia is not a city. I used to think it was a city. I found out it was not a city. It's actually a whole region, right? A, a lot of churches in this whole region. And so basically what happens to Paul is Paul hates Christians at one point in his life. He's a, he's a total hater, right? Like T-Swift was right. Haters going to hate, hate, hate. Paul was a hater. And he was a Pharisee. He thought he was self-righteous. He thought he was right with God because of the way that he lived his life and, and how, how closely he observed you know, the Mosaic Law. He thought he was it. He thought he was the, 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 like the top dog. And he, he was good. And he could see clearly everyone else's brokenness. And, and the Gentiles, particularly the non-Jewish people, they were like defiled. And he kind of had written them off. And he just wanted to make Jewish people more like him and to stay away from those Gentiles. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. And, she, and, 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 it, and it becomes the light that, no, no, you're broken, Paul. You're unclean. You need, you need something. You need the blood of Jesus. And, and so this is a revolutionary for him. He thought, I'm right because of the law. And they're the unclean ones. And now he realizes, oh, I'm unclean. And it points him to Jesus, and he has this radical transformation. He's no longer going around trying to kill Christians. Now he's going all over the world trying to tell people about this Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So he's going all over the place. He has three major missionary journeys that we can track through the book of Acts, which is in the Bible, a historical book about what happens in the early church. And, and his first missionary journey, he goes through this area, which is Asia, uh, the center of Asia Minor at that time. It's modern-day Turkey, right? We hear about that a lot in the news. It's right in that center area. He goes through that area. It's the region of Galatia. That's where it is. And he's telling them about Jesus. Lots of people are believing him. They're realizing that I'm unclean. I need Jesus. They're receiving Jesus. They're receiving the gospel. They're planting churches. They have a good start. And then Paul moves on to the rest of the world. Because that's what he does. And as he's going, he hears reports that in the region of Galatia, these other guys that come in, they're called Judaizers. And they're, and they're proclaiming a different gospel. They're saying, Paul didn't tell you the whole deal. Yes, you need Jesus. They weren't denying that. Yes, you need Jesus. But you also need to follow the law. And Paul writes this letter basically saying, that's not good news at all. And one of the things that you see is when these Judaizers came, they understood the Mosaic law. They were, they were Jewish. They were, they were like these Pharisees, and they had, they had pseudo-converted. Like, they're, they're Jesus and all this other stuff. And one of the things that they were apparently doing is they were going back to the Old Testament and saying, look at these things in, in, in the Old Testament with Moses and Abraham. Look at Moses and look at Abraham. If you just look at those things, you'll see that we can't just throw that out. We still need to follow that. And Paul is saying, no, let's go back. I'll go back with you and we'll look through the Old Testament and we'll show you that none of those things are supposed to fix you. The law in, in chapter 3 goes, the law wasn't written to fix you. The law was given because of sin. The law doesn't help you be perfect. The law just shows you that you're a sinner. And when you know that you're a sinner, that you're broken, it's supposed to bring you to the gospel and show you that you have a need. And Jesus is the answer. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And so in this chapter right here, he's going to really go back and he's going to use it. He calls it an allegory. He's going to go back all the way to the promise of Abraham. And his son Isaac. And the promise that God made to him. And how that all worked out. And he's going to basically say the same thing that he's been saying. That we need Jesus. These things point to our need to Jesus. And so if you guys have your Bibles. In uh, Galatians chapter 4. Starting in verse 21. I'm going to read all the way through the chapter. And then we're going to go back. You're going to listen to this. And you're going to see why. You know there's some hard stuff in here. But we're going to go back I promise. And walk through it slowly. And, and come to understanding of what these things are all about. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But 
what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, you are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Clear enough? You know, there's a lot in there, right? This is not easy stuff to, to understand. Thank you, Paul, for giving this to me to teach. God bless you. Um, but it actually is really cool. It is really neat stuff. And so I want to walk through it a little slower. And I think we can kind of understand if we look at the context of what Paul's trying to do, right? An allegory is saying that when he's, when he's using this analogy of, of Abraham and Hagar uh, and all these things, that he actually has a bigger message. He's not trying to teach you about them. He's trying to teach you some things about you and about me and about him, Jesus, about life. And so let's dig a little slower. The first thing in your notes is this. What, what he starts off is he's basically, in essence, he's saying that the only true gospel is through grace. That's what he's been saying, and he kind of reminds us that the only true gospel is through grace. And we see that in, a, in Galatians 4.21. He goes, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Right? These Judaizers are coming in and they're saying, hey, if you, if you want to be right with God, you're going to have to do these things. You have to be circumcised. And there's a bunch of like food laws and who you can hang out with and who you can't. All these things. You, you can't just throw those away. You have to still follow those. And, and so Paul's like, if that works, then how come you guys don't do it? Right? If you want to be under the law, do not look at the law. Because if you really look clearly at the law, you would realize what? That you're broken. You can't follow it. It's not good news at all. It's bad news. He had already said that the laws and the intention of the law wasn't to help us be right with God. The intention of the law was not a way that we could be right with God. The intention of the law was to reveal that we are not right with God and that we have a great need. We need mercy because we cannot follow the law perfectly. So he goes, the reason, if you, if you guys are looking at the law, don't, don't, don't look, look a little closer. So the first thing he's saying is this, the law can't fix us. It reveals our brokenness. Paul's brokenness was revealed to him on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. And I want you to hear this. Paul's so passionate about this because this is completely and totally the central issue of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We have to understand that we are broken and need Jesus. The law's intention was to show you that you're broken and that you have a need. And it's for Jesus. And if we forget that, we forget everything. Listen, Jesus taught us some things about living as somebody who's broken, didn't he? For one, there's a moment when Jesus is having a meal with these Pharisees that thought they were right with God. They're self-righteous, right? These Pharisees. And all of a sudden, this prostitute comes in. You can imagine if you're self-righteous, this prostitute walks in. She's already had this relationship with Jesus. It's Mary Magdalene before she's the Mary Magdalene we know in the Bible. Well, she's been so touched with Jesus, she walks in and she begins to weep at his feet. And her tears are so big that they're splashing on his feet. And she takes her hair and she washes them. There's a ton of imagery and, and meaning to that that we can't get into. But, 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 but it, it highlights these Pharisees. In their hearts, they're thinking, if Jesus was really a good guy, he wouldn't let this prostitute come in here and defile our dinner. And defile his feet. 
He would, he would get her out of here. But Jesus doesn't do that. He tells a story. In essence, at the end of the story, he, he says this. He goes, those who have been forgiven much love much. When we forget that we are broken, we forget that we've been forgiven much. And we don't love much. We don't do the central thing that God said to do, to love God and to love others, because we, we, we forget that we're broken. And so it's a central issue. Jesus tells these Pharisees at one point, he goes, you walk around and, and you're so busy trying to pull the speck of dust out of other people's eye because you forget that you have a two-by-four in your eye, a log in your eye. You forget you're broken. You forget your brokenness, so you're always pointing out everyone else's brokenness. Does the church need to hear this? Yes. Do I need to hear this? Yes. When you forget your brokenness, it's like, uh, I don't know if you guys watch American Idol, but I, I do. I admit it. I also sometimes watch, on, the, on, the, on, the, on January 1st, I watch the parade, you guys. <laughs> and I'm not afraid that I'm broken. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, remember a couple of seasons ago, this guy, he, he, he sung this song, it was, it was profound. He, he said, pants on the ground. Pants on the ground, you look like a fool with those pants on the ground. In, in essence, Jesus is literally saying the same thing. But not literally, allegorically. He's saying, log in the eye, log in the eye. You look like a fool with that log in your eye, walking around trying to pull the speck of dust out of everyone else's eye. The church desperately needs to hear that. Jesus said that when we forget our brokenness, we lose, in essence, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Paul is saying these Judaizers are leading you the wrong way because they're leading you to self-righteousness. And that's not, that's not what Jesus is all about. We're broken. And the letter B is this. It's the gospel of grace that he's proclaiming. Grace is being treated better than you deserve. Grace is being treated better than you deserve. If you could somehow observe and follow the law, and, and, and that was what made you right from God, then guess what? You deserve to be right with God at that point. There's no longer grace. It's you've earned it. You're now entitled. Don't we sometimes get stuck in that we feel entitled? And what do we lose? We lose worship. We lose the fact that we've been forgiven much, and so we lose loving much. We dry up. We shrivel up because we forget about grace, the goodness of grace. In essence, what Paul wants you to hear is that God has been so gracious to you in your brokenness. And we have to receive that. And then live out of that. And the fact that you are broken and you, you received grace, now you can go forth and you can be gracious. Guess what? You can treat people better than they deserve. Wives. Your husband right now. Again, he doesn't deserve it. But you have an opportunity to be gracious and to treat him better than he deserves. At work, as we're employees, they don't treat you the way that they should. They don't deserve your good attitude, your hard work. You have an opportunity to treat them better than they deserve. Your neighbors, right? They're not as neighborly as they should be. And we have an opportunity to treat them better than they deserve. 
We have that opportunity, but it's only when we understand our brokenness. And letter C is this, that forgetting you are broken leads to deep, hurtful sin. When we forget that we are broken, we no longer see people the way that Jesus sees them. Right? Someone cuts us off and we go, jerk. How many of you guys have ever done this? Someone cuts you off and go, oh man, they're probably having a bad day. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bet you they didn't have the best childhood. You don't do that, right? We just do that. I figured out you, right? And we figured out everyone else, right? But you look like a fool with that log in your eye. Is what we need to hear. Because when we forget our own brokenness, brokenness, we can't see people the way that Jesus sees them. And so that's why Paul's so passionate. These Judaizers, they think that they're right, but they're foolish. They're losing the central issue that, 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 that all of the Old Testament, as, as, as Israel was walking, they kept floundering. Why? Because they needed the Messiah. The, the floundering years were supposed to build hunger for the coming Messiah. And he's like, now the Messiah's come. Why are you trying to go back to the floundering? That didn't work. Well, he goes, tell me, you desire to be under the law. Do you not even listen to it? And then the, the next thing in your notes is in, in this other section, he, he, he's basically building this case that on our own we flounder. On our own we flounder. We can't save ourselves. In Galatians 4, 22 through 26, he goes, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Well, that's key. According to the flesh. If you have your Bible, underline that. Don't do that on your phone. According to the flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Underline that. Born through promise. They're either born through the flesh or born through promise. He's assuming that you understand that you've read Genesis 12 through Genesis 21. I'm going to give you the cliff's notes. In, in Genesis 12, God comes to this guy that's a pagan. He's a pagan. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans. And he's 75 years old. And God comes to him. His name's Abram. We don't know why he comes to him. He just picks Abram. It's, it's because of grace, we know that. It wasn't something special about Abram. If you read the whole story, he makes lots of mistakes. He's not the perfect guy. His name's Abram. And God comes to him and he gives a promise. He says, I'm going to make you and your offspring, through your offspring, I'm going to bless the whole world. Through your offspring. Now this was interesting to Abram because he's 75 years old and he has a wife, but he has no kids. How, am I gonna, how are you going to bless my offspring if I don't have any? So within this promise is built this idea that he understands that I'm going to have a son. Someday I'm going to have a son. So he goes where God calls him to go. He steps out by faith. It says that, that it, was, it was accredited to him as righteousness because of his faith, not because of his life. It was grace. It was through faith. right? He, his, his, his whole basis of his relationship with God was by faith, through grace. In, in, in the coming promise, which we know now is Christ, in Christ. You ever hear that? Right? It's, it's through, faith, through faith, by grace, in Christ. Do you think that's a New Testament? No, the first book of the Bible teaches it. It's always been God's plan. Right? And so Abram has this, this, this promise. He's 75 years old. All these things start to happen. Ten years go by. Now he's 85 years old, still no baby. Right? It's not because he wasn't trying. You know what I mean? Because it implies that he was. But 
babies and doesn't have a baby. And now he's starting to go like, well, I don't know what's going on. Ah, oh, his wife, Sarah, says, I have a good idea. You have these, these you have this slave woman, Hagar. Take her to be your wife. You have my permission. Have a baby with her. Maybe that's the way God's going to answer this, through Hagar. What does she do? She takes things, she takes matters into her own hand. Before we judge Sarah, anybody not be able to relate to that? You ever take things into your own hands? I don't know how this is going to work, so you, I'm going to help God out a little bit. Right? Sisters? Single sisters, all the single ladies. I'm not waiting for that guy, right? The guy doesn't come along. Well, wait, I met this great guy. He's not really a Christian, but, you know, all overlook it. Ouch, right? Oh, I, I need some, you know, I want to get this promotion, right? It's not coming. doesn't seem like they're going to give it to me. Maybe I'll do something on my own to, to make it happen. Maybe even something unethical, but it's justifiable because I want that. Right? We do this. What he's saying is that, that, that he gives Abram Hagar. Hagar has a son. His name is Ishmael. His name is Ishmael. But it wasn't the son that God had promised. A lot of tension happens. The tension in the world you might look at today between Muslims and, and the rest of the world is still a consequence of that bad decision. They believe that they're, 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 that Abraham's their father and it's through Ishmael, the firstborn son. That's, that's their claim. All the way back in Genesis 12. Now, Paul is saying that they tried to do that on their own, in their flesh, their own way. But guess what? God still kept his promise. It wasn't until, until uh, 15 years later. Finally, 25 years after the promise, 15 years after Ishmael, Isaac is born through Sarah. He's the one of promise. All these problems happen, but Paul is using this allegorically saying, look, the law is like Ishmael. It's trying to do it on your own. It doesn't work. And Isaac is like the promise. It's, it's trusting in God to fulfill the promise through grace. So, so on our own, we flounder. Abraham and Sarah came up with a plan on their own. It caused them to flounder. And then it says in verse 24, it says, Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, right? That's where, that's where uh, Moses got the law, Mount Sinai. Bearing children of slavery, she's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She, is, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. First in your notes is that Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise. God's promise equals the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus saves, that we can be saved through grace. That's the allegory. He's saying, I came to you, Paul came to these people in the region of Galatia, and he said, through, through faith, by grace, in Christ, that's how you get saved. Right? That's the promise. That's the gospel. And these other Judaizers are saying, no, there's something else you need to do. You can do it. Right? That's, that's, that's the Ishmael. That's you trying to do it on your own. So Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise. Ishmael was the result of man's wisdom. The, 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 the two uh, words he's using, he's, he's balancing right here, and you have to understand this because it's going to build in the next chapters, is the promise 
and the flesh. You'll see that in the, by the end of this chapter, he's going he's to say the promise and the flesh. The promise and the flesh. And he's going he's gonna to make a transition. He's going to call it the flesh and the spirit. Same thing, the promise and the spirit. The flesh, are you, are you living according to the flesh? Or are you living according to the spirit? Are you living according to your flesh? Or are you living according to the promise? And he's saying that Ishmael was the result of man's wisdom. Human desire, human effort, human wisdom. And then he gives you this idea of Jerusalem, right? What does he say about these two different Jerusalems? One is the present Jerusalem. The present Jerusalem versus the Jerusalem that is above. The present Jerusalem represents earthly things. Earthly things. The Jerusalem that is above represents heavenly things. Now in, my, in your notes I said that, that the Jerusalem above is our future hope. I want to change that. It is. Part of it is. It is our future hope. But I, but I, don't, think that, I don't think that captures really the, the, the truth. I think I made a mistake there. So I would cross out future and write heavenly. It's the difference between, it's the difference between us uh, uh, viewing things of how they are on this earth, right? Jesus said that. Don't have your minds fixed on things of this earth, but fix your mind on things above. Paul says that again too. And he's saying it right here. He's saying Jerusalem on this earth, the, Jerusalem, the present Jerusalem, let's not put our hope in that. Let's not put our hope in our circumstances. Let's not put our hope in anything that's on this earth. Let's put our hope where it belongs, on heavenly things, on Him. That's the balance He's, he's, he's drawing in. And next in your notes, as we're, as we're digging through this, I know it's like, it, there, this is very, this is a difficult passage, but I think it has a, such a deep, uh, relevant meaning to us, is that, if, if before he's saying, on our own we'll flounder, then he's making this point. In Christ we flourish. In Christ we flourish. He says in Galatians 4.20, says, he says, for it is written. And when you're in the New Testament, there's a little Bible teaching. When you're in the New Testament, every time it's saying it is written, it's referring to something in the Old Testament. It is written. Particularly, he's going to quote Isaiah 54.1. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah was a prophet. If you look at Isaiah uh, 53, it, it, I don't know how you could not believe in Jesus, that he said the things he said about Jesus 700 years before, and then they came true in Jesus. Stuff like where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, like stuff that you couldn't, even, even the best magician couldn't do. They can't predict where they're born, right? So Isaiah... 54.1, he quotes, he says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Here's what this means. He's saying that the old covenant people failed to bless the world. Those are, those are, the, those are the barren ones. They don't bear. I mean, those, are, those, those were the, uh, the, the barren one who does not bear. What does that remind you of? One chapter later, he's going to use this idea of bear in the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to say bearing fruit. They, don't bear, they didn't bear fruit. The, the, through, he's basically saying that through the law, the Old Testament people, the Jewish people, even though they had the law, they, they didn't bless the world. Why is that an issue? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 and look at the original promise. This is what promise was made to Abraham our father. 
Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He's going to bless them so they can be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was God's desire that through Abram God, and, and, and his walk with God that people would see that and the whole world would be blessed. And what he's saying is that even though in the Old Testament there was little flippings of that, right? Like when he led them out of Egypt, people looked back at that and said, well, how great is the Israel's God because he did that. But then they would mess it up with the way that they acted. Right? And then there was King David and his great kingdom. And everyone said, what a great kingdom. Right? And then even later, the next generation, they came and looked at Solomon's kingdom. And then the kingdom split. Division. And then everyone started conquering. And they kept messing up. They never blessed the whole world on their own strength. Because on our own, we flounder. We're not supposed to do it on our own strength. Even if we have a, a, a rule book. The rule book doesn't fix us. He says, the old covenant people failed to bless the world, but the new covenant people become a growing family. They're the children of the desolate one. They're broken, but they're redeemed. And he says, the whole world is going to be blessed. They're going to be more than the, than, than the one of the barren one. They're going to be more. They're going to be the fulfillment. And what we, what we see is, Paul is basically saying, look, I'm coming to you. We started as this little group. It was just Jesus and these couple guys. And they were in Jerusalem and in this area called Capernaum. And then it started to grow. And the church in Jerusalem grew. And then now we're going out and it's spreading all over the world. The family of God is growing. And it's growing through not the law. It's growing through the gospel of grace. That, that through the gospel of grace, Jesus came and died on a cross. That we as the church would live as broken people. Listen, live as broken people, not stuck in our brokenness, but redeemed by the blood of Jesus and growing in, in our faith with Jesus. And that the world was going to see the hope that we have in Jesus and not on the things of this world. And like Peter says, they're going to start asking Questions, And they're going to realize we're all broken, but there's one answer. Paul's made this argument, look, there's one way. There's only one way. And the world people don't like to hear that, do they? There's only one way. That sounds judgmental. Well, let me ask you this. If you had a terminal disease and there was no cure, therefore no hope for you, and you never heard of a cure. Then all of a sudden someone came and said, we've discovered a cure. And we know it works. And we want to give it to you for free. How many of you guys would go, what cure? <laughs> Judgmental. No, the fact that, that we shouldn't be astonished that there's only one way. We should be astonished that there is a way. That God has made a way. It's mind-blowing. 
And we're supposed to go to the world, live in our brokenness, not tell them, you're, you're broken and I'm not, like a Pharisee, but to get into their lives and to engage them in their lives, to become friends with them, to love them with no strings attached, to serve them with no strings attached, hoping that maybe it might break down some of the walls that the enemy has brought to them, and maybe they might listen to this good news fresh, as if it were for the first time, though they've heard it all their life. I'm just so convinced that that's our mission. But we are supposed to be a broken people that's been redeemed by Jesus, going out to the world, not to fix them with the law. I get so sick of Facebook. I Thankfully, I'm looking around. I don't see a lot of you guys doing this on Facebook, and thank you. I get so sick of, uh, of the church living like the Judaizers and worrying about red cups and what everyone else is doing. Worry about what you're doing. Worry about the log in your eye. Take that to Jesus and let him nail that log to the cross first. Amen, amen. And then, and only then, can we go in a loving way like Paul is doing and speak truth and freedom, real freedom. On our own, even with the law, we fall short, but in Christ we flourish. That's God's mission for us. And then Paul gives a big brotherly, he ends with a big brotherly uh, uh, a statement. Now here's the thing. We don't just go to people and tell them that we don't know and just start telling them what's right and what's wrong. I just don't think that that works. I don't think that that's our job. But I do think that when we get involved with people's lives and we love them well, I know that for me, when people get involved with my life and they love me well, and then in the, in the mix of that relationship, they can help me see some things that I don't want to see. I don't know if you've ever had someone come up and tell you something that you, you don't want them to tell you, but you know that you need to. You just need someone to come and, and, and stand with you in that. And Paul does that. And in, in essence, he goes, cut out things that hinder your faith. Cut out things that hinder your faith. He goes, now you brothers, right? He's a big brother to them. He's already said, I came, I loved you. I love you guys. And so I want to tell you this. He goes, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, right? So also it is now. You read in Genesis 21, you'll see that when Isaac was born, he, he was weaned after three years. That was normal. Now, now Ishmael, if you imagine, he's 18. He had this three-year-old. And when Ishmael, when they're having this big party for Isaac, Ishmael's so jealous that, he, that, he, that he's condescending toward Isaac. Sarah sees that and she gets scared. There's this 18-year-old grown man who wants to kill my son. And, 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 and he says, you're going to need to get out of here. We're going to need to separate you two. Right? And so that's what he's talking about. And, and he was persecuted by Ishmael in the same way the church is being persecuted. Right? The Judaizers are coming and saying, hey, either follow me or we're going we're gonna to ridicule you. We're, they were smooth-tongued. It was, there was consequences that they to, to, to say no to them. And yet Paul's giving them courage. He's saying you need to. You need to not follow them. And so he goes, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall never inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Remember, he's speaking allegorically. He's telling them poignantly. You guys need to, these Judaizers that have come in, I'm going to make it clear, you need to separate yourself from them. 
You need to stop listening to them. They're leading you astray. Now, we don't, we don't maybe have Judaizers, but here's a couple things that I think are really relevant to us. The first one is this. Be careful who you follow. Huh? Be careful who you follow. There are some Christian blogs that, that seem to point out everyone else's stuff. They hate everybody. They're, they'll tell you what, what's wrong with everybody. Please don't follow that. Don't spend your time digging into all that stuff. It doesn't bring you to what to your brokenness. Right? Be careful who you follow. Jesus was friends with sinners, but here's the thing. Jesus never sinned with sinners. Jesus ate with Pharisees, the self-righteous. He ate with them, but he didn't become self-righteous. And Jesus ate with sinners, and, but he didn't sin with sinners. We love sinners, but be careful who you follow, Paul's saying. And then the next thing is this. Be honest about how things affect you. It's not about following the law and not following the law, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 10, Paul makes this a profound statement. He goes, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Are you honest about the things that, how they affect you? I can tell you this. I won't make a, I won't make a, 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 a statement, a new law for us that, that we can't listen to certain music. That's not, that's not my point. But I know for me, when I listen to certain music, like from my youth, when I'm working out, I, I enjoy it and it pumps me up. When I listen to it, it starts to affect me in a negative way. I have to be honest with myself. And I have to realize I, 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 that affects me. It's not a law, it's just wisdom. Are you honest with yourself? Right? I remember I met a guy and he, was, he, he, he had a computer in his room, right? Right next to his bed. How many think that we should make a law that no one should have a computer next to your bed? Right? But he comes to me and he goes, I'm, I'm struggling with pornography. I go, well, when are, when are you watching pornography? Well, when I'm alone in my room and the computer's right next to my bed. Well, take it out of your room. I'm not saying that it's a rule for everybody. I'm just saying it's pretty, if you're honest with yourself, like that's causing you to stumble. Remove it. Like, do something about it, right? But be honest about how things affect you. And then lastly, stop making excuses. Start following Jesus. It's not about following the law, but it's also not about making excuses. It's about being honest with yourself and saying, if you really want to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. And in Hebrews 12, it says, we have this great cloud of witnesses, so let's throw up everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, so stop making excuses. And start following Jesus. And I'm going to have the worship team come back up, and I just want to close with this. Like, here's, here's just me being honest, right? Like, I'm, I don't know how to... I never had a class on teaching the Bible, but I feel like that's what God wants me to do, and so I do it. And I've had to learn, like, the beginning of my sermon, that's always the hardest part. I always, I think I'm, I think I'm funny, right? And I always spend too much time thinking I'm funny and not getting to the point, and then the intro is too big, and then the closing, the closing's hard. And I'm starting to come to the, the thing is, we don't know how to respond, I don't think, as a church. I think one thing that remember Screen Church needs to grow on, we don't know how to respond to God's Word. And I, and I feel like that myself. And we come to these points, right, where it's like, I, okay, I want, I want, I, I, something needs to change right in my life. Well, I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to do either. But I, I don't think that the answer is try harder. I think we should try harder. But I don't think we should put our hope in that. But I do think that what Paul's trying to say is that we need Jesus. 
And we need to be changed from the inside out. And I know that one way we can, we can surrender ourselves to God is in prayer. And I know a lot of times we say, like, hey, if you need prayer, go get prayer. And, like, a couple people do, right? I think sometimes we feel like maybe that's the walk of shame, right? Not the walk of shame. I don't know what the answer is, but I just wanted to say this. I think we need to respond. And, and I, I'm a big fan of this. As, as, as a good leader won't ask people to do what they're not willing to do themselves. But I just want to surrender. And I want to ask you guys to pray for me. And specifically, I, I know you guys know I work on the fire department. And I've been trying this whole year, honestly, this whole year is like my, my, my New Year's resolution. I, I want to be a better uh, human <laughs> at, at work. Specifically, uh, I, I don't always treat people better than they deserve. It's very easy for me to see who doesn't deserve my respect. And, 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 I, and, I, and I get a bad attitude. And I think it's also, um, I, I, I think I'm funny. I do. I think I'm witty. And sometimes it gets me in trouble. And I start down a path at work where I'm kind of jaded and and, and it doesn't shine a great light for Jesus. And I've been convicted of that. And every day I go to work and I go, like, I want to change. I'm going to change. I'm going to do better today. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of trying to fix myself. I just want to ask. I, I, I want to surrender. And I want you guys to pray for me. I'm going to ask Adam, would you pray for me? And then as, after I pray, what we're going to do is if anyone else, what feels like I do, where you're just like sick of trying to do it on your own, then I'm going to ask you just to stand. And we're going to pray for you. And then we're going to worship. And we're going to start a new revolution of responding to Jesus and stop trying to fix ourselves. And when I say pray, don't fix them. I don't say fix them. Don't fix them. Don't give them answers. Pray for them. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you so much for Pastor Kenny. Uh, I'm just amazed every time I think about him, uh, what he has to do on a daily basis. We know that what you've called him to do is pretty much the heaviest thing that can be called to do. And that is to lead uh, a church, Father God. And we know that he also is working a very demanding job in which uh, he is saving lives and at the same time is an example to these men and these uh, new firemen that are coming in too and that he really can be a light there as well. Lord, but we know that as somebody who is really trying to do your will, really trying to uh, be an example of light in this world, and Satan is trying to beat him down, trying to wear him down, trying to, you know, just plant seeds. And Father God, we just pray that you will fill him with the Holy Spirit, that you will give him the supernatural strength and energy and excitement uh, as he works all like 24-7, Father God. And we also pray, Lord, that he could be that light into this world and that he could uh, just, just know that you are with him and that it's not on him, but it's, it's on you, Father God. So we just pray, Lord, for our pastor and help us, Father God, to continue to pray him, for him, not only here, but on a daily basis, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Is there anyone else who wants to respond by just surrendering? And standing and saying, I don't know what to do, but I need, I need, I need help. I need prayer. That's you. I encourage you to stand. And in these next moments, what I'm going to ask is there's people standing around you. Somebody just be bold enough. 
I believe that God's empowered us as a church to be the church. Someone be bold enough and just, just reach out to each other and pray for each other. Don't fix each other. Just pray for each other. And, and the worship team is going to just give a moment for you guys to do that. And then they're going to start worshiping. And if you're still praying, keep praying. We'll pray and we'll worship. And we'll worship and we'll pray. But we'll do it before a God who is able to transform us from the inside out. That is our hope. 